When I mentioned the Mona Lisa, the screen, and the impression sunrise, what comes to mind? If you thought they were all famous paintings, you would be correct. They actually have a couple of other things in common. The first is that they are considered tremendously valuable, and the other one is, is that uh, they've been all, all the originals have been stolen at some point. The tape, the, the Mona Lisa, for instance, was painted by Leonardo da Vinci uh, in the 16th century. In 1911, a museum worker walked out of the Louvre with the Mona Lisa under a smock. He later expressed that he thought the masterpiece belonged in Italy instead of France. But two years later, the thief was caught trying to sell the painting. The screen by Edmund Munch was painted in the early 1900s. In 2004, the screen was ripped off a museum wall by armed robbers. Fortunately, it was recovered and it was restored. And then you've got the Impression Sunrise. It was painted by Claude Monet in the 1800s. In 1985, armed robbers stormed in the Museum in, in Paris and took the painting. It was recovered by French police five years later. See, the point of Christmas, after all, is that God came, get back to the stealing part, God came to dwell with us so that we could dwell with him forever. That is the whole point of celebrating Christmas. That is the whole point of why Jesus was born, is to, so we could dwell as people with God forever. As John reminds us in the first chapter of his gospel, this is what he says in, in verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, talking about Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then jump in to verse 14, he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What an incredible thought to think about Jesus, who was God, who is God, putting on flesh. Not only putting on flesh, he didn't decide to show up but as a 33-year-old, go to the cross, die, and raise again, did he? He chose to be born as a baby so he could live and experience everything that we live and experience. <laughs> See, and as we're getting very close to Christmas, only a few days away from Christmas, I want to remind you of what an amazing and precious treasure the first Christmas bought. That was the whole point of this sermon series, is to point to Jesus. As our planning and our preparation and our commitments reach a fevered pitch in this last few days right before Christmas, I don't want you to, to, to forget the real treasure of Christmas. And I don't want it to be stolen from you like a painting to be stolen. I want you to, to, to grab on to it. When you think about the enormity of God, the complexity of his creation, and the majesty of his glory, that this effort for our salvation is beyond our comprehension. See, why would God 
go to such lengths to restore us to himself. Why would God do this? I ask, why would God go to the cross for you and me? Why would he do that? The answer, of course, is found in his nature. It is found in the one word God uses to describe himself in John 1, 4, 4, verse 4 8. God is love. That is why he chose to put on flesh. That is why he came to save you. So with Christmas nearly upon us, I want to help us preserve and protect the real treasure and meaning of the holiday by looking at the account of the Magi. See, in, short, in the short account in Matthew 2, centered on the Magi's worship of Jesus, we see three very different approaches to this wonderful event. Three very different responses to this wonderful event. King Herod, the teachers of the law, and the Magi all take a different approach to the events of Jesus' birth. See, the meaning and power of the event are lost and stolen for Herod and the Pharisees. But the Magi's approach of worship is the proper response to what God did that night. See, when we consider that that, that night was the culmination of hundreds and thousands of years of prophecy, when we consider what God went to in these great late lamps for us, when we remember that Jesus did indeed save us from our sins, what else can we do? What else can we do for adoration and worship? If we follow the Magi's example, we'll find the power, that power, wonder, and meaning of the holiday will not be wasted, and it will not be stolen from us. So enter the wise men. See, I'm sure you've heard the account of the Magi or the wise men many times. The image in their mind may not line up with what the Bible says. See, before we begin looking at these three different responses, let's take an actual picture that the Bible paints. Let's see what the Bible says in Matthew 2, 1 through 12. We take a look at all three of these reactions to this amazing event at Christmas. First of all, it starts now, Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where, saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of, of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judah, for so it is written by a prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, and by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and asserted, 
asserted them from them, ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring the word, me word that I may, may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced in exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with them, with mother, with his mother, with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opened their treasure. Treasures. They offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. See, after they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. They were full of joy. Remember we talked about joy last week. They were full of joy. A joy that could only come from God. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his, his mother, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Howard, they returned to their country by another route. Despite what many of us sing each year, you'll notice the Magi weren't kings. And the Bible doesn't say how many there was. The Expository Bible Commentary tells us that in later centuries down to the New Testament times, the term Magi loosely covered a wide variety of men interested in dreams, astrology, magic, books, thought to contain mysterious references to the future and the life. You see, so instead of kings, more likely they were scholars and astrologers who had some working knowledge of and belief in the Hebrew scriptures. See, perhaps they were connected with the Hebrews. See, who were deported to the east. <coughs> the tradition that there were three of them probably comes from the fact there's three gifts given to Jesus. But it is possible that each gift came from a number of magi. See, we don't know where they came from, except that it was east. Perhaps it was even as far away as Babylon. See, we don't know what the star was. Some, some people suggest that it could have been a sign in the heavens like the conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn that took place in around 7 BC. Or some think it was a comet or a supernova. Others believe it was purely a supernatural event, like the pillar of fire or cloud that led the Israelites through the east, through the desert during the Exodus. See, the most amazing thing about the Magi is that in this short account in Matthew, these non-Jewish <clears throat> foreigners with questionable religious practices 
who were gazing at stars were the only ones who responded appropriately to Jesus' birth. This serves us as a stark reminder for those of us who are in church and consider ourselves to be followers of Jesus. Are we like the Magi? Focusing on worship, adoration, and gifts for the King. Or are we so familiar with this story that our wonder has been lost or even stolen? See, while we might expect these outside, those outside the faith to miss the real meaning of Christmas, will, will we make certain our hearts stay focused on what this holiday really means? What this holiday really means. <coughs> See, they should have known better. A little later, we'll dive, dive in to the Magi's response. But before we do, let's consider another response we see in Matthew 2, 4-5. After encountering the Magi, Herod called the chief priests and the teachers of the law together and asked them where the Messiah was to be born. They shared the answer by quoting the prophet Micah, who pointed to Bethlehem about 700 years before Jesus was even born. These are people who supposedly believed that the Messiah was coming. But we never hear another thing about them, do we? We never hear about the, the, the scribes or, or, or they never think the teachers of the law. These people knew the Bible inside out. Yet all they did is give Howard some information to give these wise men. That's really interesting when you think about it. The teachers of the law and the priests have just heard the Messiah has been born. They've just been told the prophecy that they've been waiting for has come true. So they look at the scriptures. In response... The ones who have dedicated their whole lives to God and the scriptures. The ones who make their living from teaching about God's law and prophets about the Messiah. Do nothing. They don't investigate. They don't search him out. They just say, he's probably over there somewhere. Imagine that you're the president of the Justin Bieber fan club. I'm not saying you like Justin Bieber if you know who he is. Okay, but say you're the president of the Justin Bieber fan club. Okay, and Justin Bieber sends you an email and says, hey, you're the president of Rockford's fan club. I want to know where the best place to come and do a concert because I'm going to put a concert on in Rockford. Okay, and you say you should have Think about the Coronado, it's got really good sound and it's really nice inside. Go there. But then you do nothing. You just go back to work. Justin Bieber comes to town. You're his number one fan in the town because you're running his fan club and you don't even show up to his concert. You know everything about Justin Bieber. But you don't show up at his concert. You just go back to work, get back to business as usual, and you forget about it. You wouldn't do that. You would not do that if you was his biggest fan. And you could put any star in that. You would not do that. But the Magi 
I mean, the, the, the Pharisees, the, the law people, the people that taught the Bible, they just went back to business as usual. Business as usual. The priests and teachers of the law are waiting and teaching about this Messiah. When news comes that he's arrived, they give Howard the biblical answer, head over to Bethlehem, but they don't do anything else about it. From what I can gather about the Pharisees, I think they were most excited about the fact that they were able to search, study, and give the correct answer. But it seems like they don't, didn't really care about the Messiah himself, the, the one they knew so much about. They were more interested in what they knew about the Messiah than about the opportunity they had to come to know, receive, and worship him. Just from our talk today, you probably know more about the Magi than 80% of the population right now. But don't let your knowledge and familiarity with the events of Christmas steal the wonder of Christmas away from you. It's important to learn about God. It's important to, to learn about Him. It's important to study His Word and His commandments. It's, that's all important. But don't make the mistake the teachers and priests made where they put knowing about God above knowing God. Jesus didn't say, I know my sheep, and my sheep know about me. <clears throat> he said, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. God reveals himself through his word, but the whole point is to draw us closer <laughs> to him in order to know him, more and to become more like him in his love. As the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 8, uh, B, the, the knowledge, this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Love builds up. God showed up on Christmas so we can know him and have a relationship with him. Don't let your familiarity with this story or your focus on your knowledge steal the treasure of Christmas from you this year. Don't let, you, don't let all this knowledge puff you up. It's not about what you know. It's about who you know. And then we've got Herod, the hater. See, Let's look at another response to that first Christmas. In Matthew 2.3, we learn that when King Herod heard that the Magi had come to worship, the one who had been born king of the Jews, he was disturbed. He was disturbed. It says this, when King Herod heard that he was disturbed, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Herod was paranoid and power hungry. It's a bad place to be. History tells us that he killed his own two sons because he was jealous 
of, and threatened by their power. His own sons. So Judah forms, Howard pretends that he wants to worship Jesus. But we later see in the, cha in the chapter that he has plans was to try to kill the Messiah. See, Herod's response to Christmas is an extreme example of self-preservation and fighting for the status quo, the exact opposite of the worship of the Magi. See, Howard treats the news of Christmas in the same way he responds to any threats of power. He tries to eliminate it. He even fiends interest in worship so that he can maneuver for the upper hand. While a few of us would exactly fight against the Messiah, there is a little habit in all of us that we need to guard against. It's the part of us that takes from the glory of Jesus in this season by putting our traditions above his worship, worship to him. It is a part of us that elevates our expectations above needs for others. What we think Christmas is supposed to be about, instead of looking to see what others need. Whenever we demand that things go our way in the holiday, above what God might be doing or what others need, we make a similar mistake to the one King Herod made on that first Christmas. I love Christmas traditions. But we all need to allow God to adjust our plans however he'd like. See, there's many followers of Christ that will start their celebration on Christmas Day by serving others through visiting nursing homes or serving breakfast at a shelter. That's not a requirement to do this. And please, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty and saying you need to go serve somewhere on Christmas Day. That is not what I'm telling you. This is what I want to encourage you, however, to do. To allow God to interrupt your plans, if he so desires. To allow him to interfere in your life, if he so desires. Part of worship is allowing God to have his way, even when it collides with our differences or our expectations. See, Howard was so concerned with keeping control that he not only missed the greatest blessing in history, but he fought directly against it. He fought against it. And then we have the wise example. As we consider our preparation and response to the wonder of Christmas, let's consider the example of the Magi. When they saw the child with his mother, they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We know nothing else about the Magi, but we do know that in light of what God had done, their response is the only one that makes sense. Their response is the only one that makes sense. God has just sent his son into the world. <clears throat> they fall down at their knees 
onto their knees and worship the baby Jesus. He was probably a couple years old, but they worshipped him, the baby Jesus. If you want to guard at the meaning and wonder of Christmas, I suggest that you start with worship. That's why I suggest that you come Christmas Eve night, because we are going to do something amazing this year. We're going to have a service at 11 o'clock that ends around midnight. So we can go on a Christmas day worshipping God. Worshipping our Savior. Celebrating the fact that He came. Awaiting the fact that one day He's coming back. We don't, though, need to worship God because he needs it. I need you to understand, God doesn't need us to worship him. We worship God because we need it. We need it. Giving him the praise he's due reminds us of who he really is. Our worship fuels and feeds our gratitude. When we worship God, it makes us think about what God has done for us. It changes us. Our worship brings us back to the grandeur, the grace, and the greatness of God. When we worship, we experience a deeper connection with God and fall deeper in love with Him. See, we can plainly see that the teachers of the law should have known that. They should have known better. They just got news that the Messiah would be born. They should have known better. They knew about God, but they didn't seek to know him personally. Are you seeking to know God personally? That is more than just coming to church on a Sunday. To know God personally, you have to read your Bible. You have to get Involved studying his word because that's how God speaks 99% of the time to us. We can easily tell that Herod chose the wrong thing. How ironic that as Herod tried to prop up his greatness, he chose the lesser thing. His own power could never match the power of God, his own place and position could never compare with the presence of God. The Magi show us the way to make the most of Christmas through worship. Three, there are hundreds of passages in the, in the Bible that have the word worship in them. And the, this, the common theme that runs through the majority of them is this idea of giving preference to God and laying what we have and who we are before him. There are a number of ways to do that. Here are a few that come directly out of the Bible. In the Bible, people worship by bowing, laying face down, lifting hands. Yes, it's okay to lift your hands in worship. It's in the Bible. Clapping, okay. Serving, great. Making sacrifices, trembling, singing joyfully, banking, giving, kneeling, Shouting, singing in gladness, confessing, exulting, even dancing, and responding in spirit and truth. See, the Magi worshipped through their gifts and offerings. The shepherds worshipped from proclaiming the good news. 
The angels worshipped through song. Mary worshipped by pondering all the amazing events in her heart. If we do anything this Christmas, let's remember what God has done and give God his due. He is, he is worthy of worship. See, like the Magi, you can choose whatever form of worship best fits the occasion. The Magi had precious metal and spices. They gave God what they had. What do you have to give Jesus this Christmas? The beauty of worship is that it can be done in so many ways. through song, through prayer, through gathering and fellowship. See, gathering and fellowship is worship. Through celebration, even through service, or even your job, you can worship God. If you have kids whose eyes fill up with delight, or grandkids on Christmas morning, I hope you see that this is an opportunity to thank God. Thank God and quietly worship him for giving you that family. He doesn't owe you anything. Whatever you have, you have because he gave it to you. Thank him. Not just at Christmas, but on a daily basis. As you share meals, especially over this season, I hope you begin in gratitude for his provision for what he has given you. If you face disappointment or heartache, I hope you find a way to, to identify with the ultimate reason for Christmas, and that is the cross of Jesus. That is the whole point of him coming. He came to die for you and me. If that doesn't if that doesn't fire you up to want to worship him, I don't know what will. That he came to die for you. As we raise toasts or come to church, I pray that our heads bows to the mighty creator and our hearts lift in joy because of all that he has done. The Magi worshipped the king. It was not because they were supposed to or because he required it, but because their hearts demanded it. It's your heart demanding that you worship the creator of the universe because it should be. They encountered the word that it became flesh and God with earth and they were never the same again. All the more... As Christmas nears, let's seek God and give him the worship and praise he rightly deserves. May he meet us in our, in our gift that we give him, and may we find him like the wise men did this Christmas. And John 4, 2, 24 says this, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. That's how we worship. We worship him by all we do, by the spirit that flows through us. Because of the gift that he gave us, 
We get to worship. We get to worship. It's not a have to. We get to. Because our hearts want to. Because we know what he has done for us. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus and the world became flesh and he dwelt among us, God. Please reveal the areas in our lives that reflect the, the heart of heaven. And please protect us from the familiarity of knowing about you and about your word. Protect our hearts. Give us hearts like the Magi, God. Please. Who sought you and worshipped you. And when they found you, they brought you gifts and presents and glorified your name, God. I pray that you can help us to glorify your name in everything that we do. That right now as we, as we stand to worship you, God, that we call out with all of our hearts and fill this room with praise and worship to you for what you have done for us. We do not deserve it. But as I said earlier, you are love. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.